0: Well, good morning, everybody, and again, uh, welcome to Hawaii Kai Church. We are so glad that you're here this morning to worship Jesus Christ with us. Uh, Please open your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 19, uh, starting in verse 1, our passage of study. This morning will be Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Uh, This can be found on page 878 in the Bibles that are under your seats. Again, that's Luke chapter 19 verses 1 through 10 on page 878. Hear now God's holy word. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now before we dive into this passage today, would you please bow your heads with me as we open our time in a word of prayer. Holy Father, we thank you again that you allow us, Father, into your throne room that we might come before the very throne of grace to receive mercy and help in time of need. And God, at times like this, we do need you. We need you, Father, to hear what you have to say to us through your word. And it's only by your spirit, Lord that we would be changed because of it, that we would hear it truly with ears to hear. And so we ask that you would. We ask, Father, even as we have just sung, that you would turn our eyes to Jesus, that, Lord, we would not be distracted by the things that were going on before we got here or the things that will go on afterwards. But help us now, Lord, to turn our eyes upon Jesus, that we might see you and understand who you are better, and that, God, because of it, we will be changed. And so, Lord, we come to you and ask for your help. Please help us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to be looking at a passage that can be viewed almost as a culmination of Jesus' public ministry. After three some odd years of teaching, performing miracles, and proclaiming the kingdom of God, Jesus is now making his final journey into Jerusalem, where he knows in just a few days he's going to be arrested and executed. His ministry on earth is coming to a close, but before it does, we find this beautiful story of salvation, the rescue of a worldly, greedy, sinful, despised tax gatherer named Zacchaeus. And it is a beautiful story, for it sums up Jesus' ministry and serves as a shining example in a real life exclamation point, if you will, of our Lord's ultimate purpose for coming to earth. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And what better way to show this than through the salvation of a person whom the world would write off as hopelessly lost, incurably evil, dead in his sin, and basically unsavable. And so this is the famous story of a tax collector named Zacchaeus climbing up into a sycamore tree to see what he could see, seeking to see who this Jesus was. But as we're going to see today, it wasn't Zacchaeus seeking Jesus at all. It was Jesus who was seeking Zacchaeus. Let's look again at our passage, starting in verse 1. He, meaning Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Our story opens with Jesus passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. Now, Jericho was a city that was located on a large trade route. It was a hub of commerce, one of three major centers uh, for tax collecting, uh, Israel's tax collection, and therefore it was a place where tax collectors would have more than enough opportunity to ply their wicked trade. And wicked was their trade. For being a tax collector in Israel in the time of Christ meant that you were despised and hated by your fellow Israelites, and for good reason. Tax collectors were considered traitors to their nation because they worked for the hated Roman Empire. They would actually purchase a tax franchise from the Romans in order to collect taxes from the Jews for Caesar. The Romans would require a certain amount of tax and anything extra on top of that, that the tax collector could collect, he could keep. And so the tax collectors would impose and collect arbitrary and unfair taxes on their fellow Jews, anything that would make them more money. They didn't care that they were making themselves rich at the expense of their fellow countrymen. And for this reason, the tax collector was hated and despised by all, They were considered unclean. They could not go into the synagogue. No one would socialize with them. So they were forced to hang out with other societal outcasts like them. That's why we hear of this motley crew often referred to as the tax collectors and sinners. And not only was Zacchaeus in the tax collecting trade, he was the chief tax collector, which indicates that he was the head of the local taxation department. Now, if tax collectors were considered despised sinners, then Zacchaeus would be the chief sinner, the most despised, and the worst of the worst. But not only was Zacchaeus a hated tax collector, Luke makes a point of telling us that he was rich. You can almost hear the contempt in Luke's tone as he makes a point of telling us the obvious, that the evil, selfish chief tax collector was rich. I think Luke wants us to understand and even feel in our gut how despicable and hopeless Zacchaeus truly was. He is a despised, sinful outcast of society who has no chance of salvation in and of himself. For according to even Jesus' own words, and we heard this just a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 18 on this, in the story of the rich ruler, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But as you recall, when the disciples asked, well, then so who can be saved? Jesus answered, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. And as Jesus is passing through Jericho, making his way to the cross, we are about to see God do the impossible. Look at verse 3. And he, meaning Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now, in spite of his evil, hardened lifestyle, in spite of Zacchaeus being an outcast of society, which seemingly uh, meant that he didn't care what others thought about him, in spite of him being fabulously rich and therefore probably having everything and anything that money could buy, Zacchaeus was still seeking to see who this Jesus was. Now, perhaps he was like the rich ruler of Luke chapter 18 who came to Jesus wanting to know how he might inherit eternal life perhaps even with all of his money, there was still something missing in Zacchaeus' life. Now, although Scripture doesn't explicitly tell us why Zacchaeus was seeking after Jesus, I think we can assume he was just like everyone else who was crowding the streets of Jericho that day. They wanted to see the miracle man. They had heard many miraculous stories about this traveling preacher feeding 5,000, calming the storm, cleansing the lepers, delivering the demon-possessed, raising the dead. And most recently, as we learned last week in the closing verses of Luke 18, Jesus healed the blind man. And so, of course, the people's curiosity, including Zacchaeus's, would have been aroused. But I think for Zacchaeus, I think it may have been more than simple curiosity. And please note, this is all just speculation on my part, but if you recall, back in Luke chapter 5, we read about the conversion of another tax collector named Levi, who would become the Apostle Matthew, and who would one day write one of the four Gospels. Now, what a dramatic life change that must have been And I'm sure it was a topic of much conversation and even debate wherever Jesus traveled. I mean, can't you just hear the snide comments? What in the world? Jesus travels with a tax collector as one of his disciples? Remember, the Jews hated tax collectors. And so it's not too difficult to imagine that Zacchaeus might have known that one of his own A tax collector just like himself had somehow and for some reason left his evil past, abandoned his wicked but oh-so-lucrative tax franchise so that he could become a disciple of Jesus. How crazy would that be? Now, since we're just speculating here, let's imagine just for a moment that we are inside the head of Zacchaeus. And he's thinking, why? What would make Levi give up everything to do such a thing? Who was this man, Jesus? I haven't been in the synagogue in years. I barely remember the stories from my youth. But could this be? Could this be the long-awaited one? Could the stories be true? Is this why Matthew left his tax franchise? Could this be the Messiah? And perhaps, just perhaps, in the back of his mind, Zacchaeus began to wonder, if he is the Messiah, is there hope? Is there hope even for a person like me? And although all of this is just speculation, whimsical thinking, if you will, on my part, as I'm trying to think through this passage, what we do know for sure is that Zacchaeus... An evil, sinful man is desperately seeking to see who Jesus was. And you can just picture him in the crowd, can't you? This wee little man trying to uh, see Jesus in a throng of people, but unable to do so because of his small size. And so you can almost picture him jumping up and down, trying to get a glimpse of Jesus, but to no avail. Adam Hunt, you have no idea what we're talking about, but I can relate to this. But Zacchaeus was undeterred, and rather than give up, he anticipates the path of where Jesus will take, uh, take, eventually get to, and he runs ahead and he puts himself into a position to see Jesus by climbing into a sycamore tree. Now, it's my understanding that in that culture, for a man, especially a rich man, to be running and climbing trees was not something people normally did. And it may have been, in fact, very undignified, uncomfortable, and even humiliating for him, but Zacchaeus didn't care. There was something far more important for him than his comfort or his pride, and that was to see who Jesus was. And now there may be some of us who are sitting in this place today You may be uncomfortable and not even sure why you are here. But perhaps in the back of your mind, you're wondering, like Zacchaeus, who this Jesus is. Well, if that's you, and you're here in church today, then you're in the right place. You're in the sycamore tree, and you are exactly where you need to be. That's where Zacchaeus was, and because of that, his life was changed forever. Look at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. Now, I know I'm asking you to use your imagination a lot lot today, but think about what this must have been like for Zacchaeus. Think about that, to hear Jesus call you by your name, and tell you that he must stay at your house today. I think uh, when it says that Zacchaeus hurried and came down from the tree, it may have been that he fell out of the tree because he was just so shocked. I mean, wouldn't you be? Think about what must have been racing through Zacchaeus' mind. He knows my name. How does he know my name? And why is he singling me out amongst all these people, saying that he must come to my house? Surely if he knows my name, then he knows what kind of man that I am, and that the only people who ever come to my house are the outcasts and the sinners. But I don't care. He knows my name, and he's coming to my house. And this was especially shocking to Zacchaeus. Because in those days, in that culture, when someone comes to your home and shares a meal with you, that is like extending the right hand of fellowship with the person, you are my friend. And we should also keep in mind, this was not an isolated instance. Jesus habitually ate with and fellowshiped with the outcasts and the rejects of society. This is why Jesus was labeled by the Pharisees with revulsion and contempt as a friend of tax collectors and sinners because he would associate with them. He would go to their homes and he would eat and he would drink with them. But what made this so shocking to Zacchaeus and so repulsive to the Pharisees was because they both failed to understand that this was exactly why Jesus came to earth, Jesus came to earth on a rescue mission. He came to seek and to save the lost sheep from their sin. And pre-resurrection, very few, if any at all, understood this. But perhaps they should have. We read about this back in Luke chapter 15. Turn back with me in your Bibles, if you will, just a page or two to Luke chapter 15. Starting in verse 1. It says, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable, saying, what man among you, if if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the other ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he puts it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my sheep that was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. Jesus the good shepherd, goes out on a rescue mission to save his lost sheep. Jesus, the good shepherd, has been seeking Zacchaeus, his lost sheep. And what makes this story so beautiful is that in spite of Zacchaeus' evil lifestyle, Jesus, the good shepherd, still seeks for him. In spite of Zacchaeus' evil lifestyle, Jesus, the good shepherd, still saves him. He came to seek and to save the lost. Praise the Lord for our good shepherd. And so when the good shepherd finally finds him, Zacchaeus responds immediately with joy. Again, I can only imagine that such an instantaneous response would seem to indicate that in Zacchaeus' heart of hearts, Jesus had already been at work seeking him out, such that Zacchaeus was secretly longing to be found. So when Jesus finally calls him to bring him home, he responds immediately to Jesus' voice, With great joy. But Zacchaeus is not the only one filled with joy. For as we just read in our passage from Luke 15, when Jesus finds Zacchaeus, when he finds any of his lost sheep, he rejoices and all of heaven rejoices with him. And Jesus then calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me because I have found my sheep that was lost. And that is exactly what happens. All of Jericho erupts with great joy. Zacchaeus, who is lost, has now been found. Praise the Lord. Is that what happens? (laughs) No. Look at verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. While Jesus and Zacchaeus rejoice, the people grumble. The people could not rejoice because they still did not understand Jesus and his purpose for coming to earth. That the reason that he came, wasn't to overthrow Rome. It wasn't to be a good teacher of morality and how to live upstanding lives. It wasn't to wow them with all of his miraculous powers. No, the reason Jesus came to earth was to seek and to save the lost. And perhaps more significant than this, the people didn't understand that they too were just as lost, just as sinful, and just as separated from God as Zacchaeus was. In their self-righteousness, in their works-based religion, they believed that only those who obeyed their laws lived like them, thought like them, behaved like them, and were worthy to be with them and to be one of them. All others were to be rejected and treated like the outcasts and the enemies that they were, and notice it wasn't just the Pharisees that were doing this. Verse 7 said that they all grumbled. In their minds, Zacchaeus didn't deserve forgiveness and grace. He deserved punishment and rejection. And from a strictly man-centered perspective, they were probably right. But God's perspective is different from man's. And what they failed to see was that it doesn't matter who you are, Jew or Gentile, tax gatherer or Pharisee, we have all sinned against a holy God. And we are all deserving of punishment and rejection. As Paul says in Romans chapter 3, there is no righteous person, not even one. There is no one understands. There is no one who seeks out God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. This is a description of the universal human condition. This is all of us. There is no one here that does good. This is how God sees humanity And believe it or not, this is the humanity that God loves. Before a holy and righteous God, we are condemned because of our sin, but God so loved the world. And this is why Jesus is marching through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. For in just a few short days, Jesus will be put to death on a cross so that he can pay the penalty that our sins deserved. Jesus didn't come to just seek the loss; He came to save us from our sins by giving his own life so that we could be forgiven and live. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news of the gospel. Those who were grumbling about Jesus seeking and saving one of his lost sheep had no idea as to the true purpose and plan of God because they did not yet understand the good news. They had no idea that in the eyes of God they were just as lost as Zacchaeus and just as much in need of a Savior and that their Savior would very soon die for their sins and make a way for them to be forgiven they didn't yet understand this because at this point in their story, Jesus had not yet gone to the cross. But 2,000 years later, let me ask you, do we, do we understand? Do we understand the gospel and live each day as deeply loved, forgiven children of God who have been sought out and saved By Jesus Christ. So much of our grumbling and complaining would cease if we really took to heart the gospel, if we really took to heart the depth of our own sin, the punishment that we deserved, and the grace. Mercy and love that has been poured out upon us through Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, if we really understood what Jesus has done for us, if we really took this to heart, I believe that our lives would be radically different, radically changed, characterized by gratitude, generosity, seeking reconciliation and forgiveness of others, and a desire for everyone around us to know our glorious Savior. I believe Zacchaeus understood and took this to heart. Now, for Zacchaeus, pre-crucifixion and pre-resurrection, it would have been impossible for him to truly understand the entirety of the gospel. But with the information that he did know, with what Jesus revealed to him, Zacchaeus, the wretched sinner, placed his faith in his Messiah, and it radically, radically changed his life forever. Look at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus' life was instantly changed. I speculated earlier that Christ was already at work in his life, causing Zacchaeus to question and to seek out Jesus. But but we, we don't know that. All we know from Scripture is that Zacchaeus now recognizes Jesus for who he is, and he addresses him as Lord. And without a prompt from Jesus, he immediately repents of his wrongdoing and commits to giving half of his vast wealth to the poor. Now, you might ask, why didn't he give it all? Well, because he also wanted to pay back those whom he had defrauded. and 20, A 20% penalty or even a double payback penalty was usually the normal restitution in this case, but Zacchaeus doubles the double and chooses to pay back a fourfold penalty. He is dead serious about his repentance and doesn't care what it will cost him, clearly, we are meant to see that Zacchaeus's hold on the things of this world has been released. He is responding to Jesus' call with a repentant faith. The shiny objects of this world, the gold and money and riches that had once enslaved Zacchaeus to a life of greed and sin now no longer had a hold on his heart. Christ sought him. Christ found him. And Christ miraculously set him free. Now, a main point in this story is that a faith that truly saves includes true repentance. Zacchaeus doesn't just say that he believes and goes on his merry way, continuing to be a tax collector. Rather, his life was radically and permanently changed by Jesus. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5:17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. We can see this in Zacchaeus. In Romans 6, 4, Paul says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Zacchaeus reckoned himself dead to his old sinful life. He didn't try to tame it. He didn't try to control it. He considered himself dead to it. There should be, in every Christian, just like Zacchaeus, a faith that leads to true repentance, a turning away from your old life so that you can walk In newness of life. Now, our transformation may not be as immediate as Zacchaeus's. For many of us, it takes much longer, perhaps even a lifetime. But this is why, brothers and sisters, we need to be in church. Hearing the preaching of God's Word, worshiping Him in song, observing the Lord's Supper and baptism, reading the Word every day, and being in prayer at all times. These are the ordinary means of grace that God, the Holy Spirit, uses to help His church to grow. There's nothing flashy, there's nothing updated or appealing uh, to the 21st century mind in any of these things. The Holy Spirit does not need anything flashy or new. Rather, it is God's ordinary and timeless way prescribed in Scripture that He uses to cause His people to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus, in order to bring glory and honor to His name. We're not all going to immediately change like Zacchaeus. But God will continue to use his ordinary means of grace to change us, to help us put to death the old way of life and help us walk in newness of life. We see an example of this newness of life in Zacchaeus. And as great as this might be, more important than that, it is this changed life that shines the light on the power and the glory of Jesus Christ as the one who came to earth to seek And to save the lost. Zacchaeus' life glorifies Jesus. In closing, look at verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, Jesus knows the hearts of men. He knows this is not just some flippant boasting on the part of Zacchaeus, but a true change had taken place in his heart. And so Jesus says to Zacchaeus, this house that was once a den of tax collectors and sinners has now been saved. And the reason for this is that you, Zacchaeus, in spite of all the evil that you have done in your past, you also are a child of Abraham. And Jesus wasn't just referring to his nationality. He wasn't saying that just because you're Jewish, you are saved. What Jesus was saying was that Zacchaeus was saved because of his faith. For as we read in the book of Galatians and in the book of Romans, it is those who have placed their faith in Christ that these are the true sons of Abraham. Abraham was saved by his faith. Zacchaeus was saved by his faith. And so it will be for everyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will be saved by your faith. For this is the reason Jesus came to earth to seek and to save the lost. Now, in closing, if you are a believer today, no matter how long you've been a Christian, let me encourage you to think and to pray about your own repentance. Is there any sin that you continue to hold on to, can't let go of, don't want to let go of, that is keeping you from truly walking in newness of life? If so, preach the gospel to yourself daily. Take full advantage and take responsibility to immerse yourself in the ordinary means of grace that God has given to you, to his church, to help us to grow. But if you're not a believer today and you find yourself sitting in a sycamore tree seeking to see who Jesus is, remember this. Jesus has come to seek and to save you. In the words of Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians 6, I appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation." And so if you're sitting in the sycamore tree right now, hurry and come down, for the Savior wants to stay in your house. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you. And we praise you, Lord, for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, that in spite of our sin, in spite of everything, Lord God, that keeps us away from you. Lord, you choose to seek us and to save your own sheep. And God, I pray that, Lord, for those who hear your voice this morning, that, God, they would respond, that they would come down from the sycamore tree with great joy and receive their Savior. Father, I pray that you would continue the work that you've already begun in your children, that you would continue to help us, Lord, to see all that you have provided for us to help us to grow, to help us to know you more and love you more every single day. And I pray, Father, that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to take advantage of these things, to not neglect these things, but to use them, Father, so that we too might truly walk in the newness of life that you have given to us. We thank you for this time, Lord. We love you so much, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.